From the Upper Mount Samiesville Studios in Samiesville, Pennsylvania, comes the We Talk Games Interview Welcome everyone to Interview Starcade, the We Talk Games Guest Boy offshoot featuring all the special guests that we have on our monthly program, We Talk Games. I am your host, Wiggly. Joining me on the line, Kyle Von Kubik. Kyle, you are a producer, according to Walter Day. Now, Walter Day is the ultimate authority figure, referee of all things video, video games. games. Yeah. So, it, what he says goes. But you are the one that actually procures the guests for We Talk sure. Games. And We Talk Games has attracted some of the biggest, well, not even some, the biggest the names. Biggest. Yeah, the biggest names in video game history. If you go through important figures in the development of video games, they probably were a guest on We Talk Games. Hey, kids. Right after this episode, go on Google, search most influential people in video games, and see how many people have actually been on our show. That has been a byproduct that other podcasts can only dream of. It's it's nothing that we actively sought to do. It's just amazing that we've actually attracted so many fantastic players in the realm of video games to our little humble program. And you can find out all about the monthly episodic video game magazine, We Talk Games, by going to wetalkgames.com. Become a part of that community. It's so easy. If you have a Twitter account, if you have a Facebook account, if you have a Windows Live ID for your Xbox 360, you're already a member of We Talk Games. You just log in with those accounts. Come be a part of our growing community. So we thought it would be nice to just share with a whole brand new, fresh group of video game enthusiasts some of our special guests and we had a hard time deciding on who to start with yeah so many big names it's very it's very difficult to pick one as a jump off point and so many great interviews oh absolutely but i think that this choice is most logical as far as a jump off point is concerned because this person really kicked off or or set the bar for the standard of interviews that we have on We Talk Games. Now, Tommy Tallarico is the most music-making man in video games, and that'll come out in the interview as well. But I remember reading about this guy in my Game Pro back in the early 90s, I guess. Yes, he started on the NES. Right with on. With Color of Dinosaur, I believe. Ah, when... That was the first game I, I believed he worked on for the Nintendo. Huge title. Huge title. Yeah. Who doesn't remember that? Who could? I, I loved coloring my dinosaur. I forgot the name already. We share a little bit of history. I've, I've talked about this guest before. I've been very jealous of this guest before uh, because we both share a musical background. And I, I knew that if I could get these two people... On the phone together, talking about games, talking about music, it was going to be a hit. So I actively sought out Tommy Tallarico, and it was easy. I got a personal email from Tommy Tallarico himself, and he directed me to his personal email account, not the website email account, so I could actively get him sooner. So we start exchanging emails. He's down for the show, and lo and behold, this is the interview that took place. Tommy Tallarico, go. All right, Keith, let's open the lines for our first special guest. San Juan Capistrano, go! Tommy Tallarico. 
Yo, how you doing? Good, I'm here. You are here. East-West Coast Connection. Tommy yes. Tallarico, of course, most famous for the 200 plus, 200, over 250. What's the count now? It's uh, 275 games. 275 games, of course, they are. Uh, I'll, I'll, do you want them in alphabetical order or chronological? I would rather go chronological. I think that's what our listeners are expecting. No, but uh, okay. all that notwithstanding. Okay. Uh, congratulations, you're in the Guinness Book, I guess. That's yeah, yeah I'm in the, the Guinness Book of World Record. I, actually, I'm, there's three records in the Guinness that I appear, but the, the one I'm probably the most proud of is uh, the person who's worked on the most commercially released video games, and that, that's records. Uh, it's currently 272, but I've worked on three games since, so we'll have to uh, adjust that for next year's Guinness. But uh, also in there for the, uh, the longest-running video game television show over 13 years with the Electric Playground. Wow. And uh, and then the uh, the third Guinness record is uh, the most video game concerts in one year, which, uh, again, it was currently 43, but we've, uh, we're currently in the midst of breaking that. And uh, we do about 70 shows a year now with Video Games Live, so it's pretty crazy. I did not know that. Now, are any of those uh, Video Game Live uh, shows available on like a, in a video format, or is it just strictly audio? I own audio, but... Right, yeah, yeah. We came out with an album last summer, Video Games Live, Volume 1. It uh, debuted on the Billboard charts at number 10, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. Uh, but now, yeah, we're in the midst right now of working on a huge national television special. Um, and then from there, uh, the DVD will come out after that. Probably uh, looking at the end of 2009, but more than likely maybe uh, spring Q1 of 2010. Because these video game live, these are, these are visual spectacles as well. I mean, you have the whole big orchestra there. You have DJs and everybody else. And no, no, I mean, you know, the reason we created Video Games Live was... You know, wanted to prove to the world how culturally significant and artistic video games have become. So, you know, I want to create a show for everybody, not just hardcore gamers, but anyone, people who never played a video game or people who are casual gamers. And, and that's why we created the show the way we did. It's not just a symphony on stage playing video game music, mm-hmm. um, but what makes it unique is that everything is completely synchronized with huge video screens and, and synchronized rock and roll lighting and special effects and a stage show production and interactive elements with the crowd and pre show festival and you know i kind of like to explain video games live as having all the power and emotion of a symphony orchestra but combined with the energy and excitement of a rock concert mixed together with all the cutting edge visuals technology interactivity and fun that video games provide so it really is a show in fact the people who are most uh, surprised and blown away by the experience are the non-gamers. You know, I mean, gamers, we, we know how cool the music to Halo and Final Fantasy is, but, sure. uh, you know, when you get somebody who hasn't played a game and they're hearing Metal Gear Solid and Kingdom Hearts for the first time, they're really amazed and they have a great uh, amount of respect for the video game industry after that. You truly are living a dream there, uh, no doubt about that. You're, you know, you're a success story, but I don't want that to take away from the talent, the hard work that all went into it. I just want to uh, step back a little bit. I mean, this is where you're at now, that and plus probably a whole lot more. You're going to take this global, I guess. Uh, but you, you, uh, you growing up, let, let's, let's go back. When, when, when did you first break into the business? 
I'm sure you've told this story countless times, but yeah, no, it's a I I my whole life, my two greatest loves and passions were always video games and music. But you know, I never thought that I'd ever put the two together because when I was growing up in the '70s, there was no such thing as a video game composer. So, yeah. but uh, you know, my parents were a product of the '50s, so I started. You know, I, I pick up music by ear. I never had uh, professional training or anything like that. So by the time I was, you know, three, four years old i was playing the piano and banging out great balls of fire and jailhouse rock for my mom and dad and oh yeah yeah i love it that's what i grew up on as well i come from my uh come from a, a musical family as well i mean my cousin is uh steven tyler from aerosmith is his real name is steven tellerico and, and so growing up i was always into aerosmith and led zeppelin and the beatles and uh you know pink floyd and later on van halen and the police but it was in 1977 when Star Wars came out, and I was about 10 years old, where I really, for the first time, noticed an orchestra and a symphony. And, and, and because of that score, that kind of, uh, and Rocky in 1976 was another big one, you know, that's when I started getting into classical music and the masters like Beethoven and Mozart. And, uh, and that's when I kind of started to think, hey, instead of being, a, you know, kind of a rock, rock and roller or, you know maybe doing uh you know doing uh being a composer and that's what really got me into it but it wasn't really and i was in bands and different things you know in high school and, and stuff but when i turned 21 is when i moved out to california i left my parents crying on the doorstep uh, i grew up on the east coast in springfield massachusetts and uh you know i drove out to california with no job no money no place to stay no friends nothing and uh you know, picked up, the only thing I really knew was Disneyland. So I, I picked up a, a newspaper in Orange County when I got here the first day, and uh, I saw a job for selling keyboards. Uh, I went down there the, the, the that same day, and they said, "You start tomorrow. You got the job." And uh, I showed up for the first day. Now I was, I was actually homeless. I was I was sleeping under a pier at at Huntington Beach. Wow. And um and the, but the first. Uh, the first day I started at the music store, I was wearing a TurboGrafx-16 T-shirt, um, which back then, in 1990, no one had video oh, yeah. game T-shirts. Now you can freaking buy them in uh, Walmart, you know. Yeah, yeah. But at Target, at Kmart has them. And, uh, but back then, it was a very rare thing. And the, the way I'd gotten that shirt is that the previous summer at, at the county fair, TurboGrafx had a tent set up, and you could play the games, and, and if you told them what you thought of them, you know, they took a little survey or whatever they'd give you a t-shirt and i waited in line like two hours that day but um so the first person who walked in the, the music store uh happened to be a producer at virgin and he saw my shirt and uh he kind of you know said hey you want a job you start tomorrow so <laughs> they hired me as a games tester first uh you know making six dollars an hour to play video games and i'm like wow i could die now this is this i could do this for the rest of my life and uh uh, so I was in California three days, and I was in the video game industry. And, um, that was uh, over 19 years ago. Um, and then with the, I would bug the vice president of the company every day. I said, look, whatever you need music, um, I'll, I'll do it. Um, you know, you don't have to pay me. I just want a, you know, an opportunity because we didn't have like music people back then. The company was just starting. Mm-hmm. And so the first game that came up was a game called uh, Prince of Persia, the original one. And... Uh, 
did the uh, music and sound with that and uh, won some awards and so they made me the music guy and uh, that's that's uh, that's the story and that's how <laughs> I ended up with uh, with you holding a, 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 a keyboard over your shoulder with a strap <laughs> uh, you know in front of the, the, the Tommy Tallarico studios then after you left Virgin I guess um, yeah, I was at Virgin for uh, for about four years. I left in '94. Uh, a lot of a lot of people left Virgin in 1994 when Viacom bought the company, and it it went from being a really fun, cool place to more of a corporate atmosphere. So we all kind of took off. You know, David Perry formed his company, Shiny Entertainment, and we started working on Earthworm Jam. And uh, John Body formed Black Ops Entertainment. There's a bunch of bunch of offshoot companies. You know, guys, uh, a lot of people who worked there went off and started Blizzard started working at blizzard and things like that so yeah it was a it was a great it was a great time there in the early 90s to be working at virgin because it, it had such a amazing uh, talent pool now i i guess uh, the sky's the limit now as far as uh, what what goes into uh, you know orchestrating any type of music for video games but back like when you said about prince of persia uh and older titles um how, the thing that I'm interested in is, you know, cartridges, sound, the, the FM synthesis, the P, PCM sound. How did that work? How did you compose the music and then it, it goes into a cartridge? Yeah, I mean, back then, it, it, you know, creating the music was, was the easy part. You know, getting it to sound like something was the difficult <laughs> part. And, uh, you know, back then when you didn't have much to work with technically... It was all about the melody, you know, and that's why some of the greatest video game music of our generation, uh, you know, was written. You know, the Mario, Zelda, Castlevania, Metroid, you know, those are, those are the games because when you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, when, when you only had 45 seconds and then it had to loop and you only had four voices uh, to, to communicate with. It had to be about melody, about great melody, and that's why you got some of the greatest melodies uh, back then. But, um, uh, you know, that being said, yeah, you know, when I started in the industry, there was no, uh, you know, music and audio in general was an afterthought. You know, it was like, okay, the game's done. Uh, we don't have any time left. There's no budget. There's no space left in the cartridge. Uh, put some sounds in this. You got, you know, we're submitting it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one of the first things I tried to uh, achieve and, and change within the game industry in regards to audio is to make sure that people thought of it in the beginning and that it was something that was thought of that was important and, you know, uh, a, a major part of the gaming experience. And so, um, you know, and, and when you, you know, the play some of the earlier games you know that i worked on like disney's aladdin and uh cool spot or earthworm jim and some of the terminator and some of those um you know music and and the audio played an important role in, in a lot of those games along with the graphics and the gameplay and everything else uh, but it wasn't an afterthought it was something that you know we budgeted for from the beginning both from a technology and space cartridge space standpoint and uh, David Perry was really the guy uh, the lead programmer of a lot of those games I mentioned that um, you know was kind of the guy holding the torch uh, saying hey we need to spend more money uh, on cartridges to get bigger cartridges so that, you know, Tommy has more space to, uh, to do his stuff, you know. So, um, 
you know, it was it was a mind frame that that had to change, a mindset. And uh, and then in the mid '90s, when CD-ROMs became available as a storage medium, that's when you started to see the industry uh, change, and and you know, people could start to record live music. But the reality was is that the budgets hadn't caught up yet mm-hmm. to uh, to uh, to the technology. So it really wasn't until the turn of the century that you started to see great scores like. Halos and the Warcrafts and Metal Gear Solids and the God of Wars and Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts and all the all the great ones. Um, you know that's that's when all the big orchestral scores, Medal of Honor, and those things started to happen because now you know we could afford to record live orchestras and live choirs and live musicians and guitars and drums and all the rest. So yeah, it's been it's been quite the uh, the the, hit, the trip and. Uh, you know, to think about it, you know, going back, you know, only 20 years ago, you know, we were all still doing blips and bloops, you know, and, and it's come so far in such a short period of time. It's it's pretty amazing to think about. So, so what did you like, uh, what did you compose on back then uh, in the computer or, or in C? Yeah, you know, I, I was one of the first guys because I didn't know anything about programming. And back then you pretty much had to be a computer programmer in order to do music and, mm-hmm. and audio for games. And I didn't really know any of that. I mean, I had done like, you know, I'd messed around with the, uh, the language basic you know, doing, you know, dirty text adventures sure. uh, on, my, on my Apple II E. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I think we all did that, the Commodore 64 days. But, um, but no, I, I didn't really know about programming, really. So what I did is I had... Um, I had programmers design me tools, uh, specific tools, in which I could take my MIDI keyboard and and plug it in. So, so not a typing keyboard, but a musical keyboard, sure. and sure. plug it directly to the sound chip in the box uh, in the in the hardware platform I was working in, and then I would attach that to a PC, which would, which would, I could control the sound of the chip so I could mess around with it. Um, but then I could also hook it up to another PC and I would record it using a MIDI sequencer. So recording the different, you know, note on, note off, note value, note numbers, the note length, uh, the velocity of the note, if there was any pitch bends and things like that. It was very, very simple. Um, and and so I was able to use a real keyboard in order to create music on on those you know more archaic machines like the NES and the Game Boy and the Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, and what have you. And that that gave me a, a distinct advantage because I was coming at it from a musician standpoint as opposed from a computer programmer standpoint. You know, try to mouse click the blues. You just can't do it. You know, it's something that <laughs> that you just, you know, feel and you have to play. Um, and so, um, you know, that that was my kind of my trick back then was getting a lot of space uh, in the cartridge and also being able to play an instrument, uh, pl- playing the machine as an instrument and recording that data was was huge. Speaking of the blues, and and that's that's what I think is so uh, you know amazing about. It. Of course, if you look down the, if you have two hundred and seventy plus games, you're going to have probably hopefully you're gonna you're gonna span genres, and that's that's something that you definitely do, uh, and that's that's a good thing. And but what amazes me is when things sort of like like banjo race just come out of nowhere. Uh, how did that happen? 
Earthworm Jim was a, was a, was a great, a fun game because we didn't really have a game design document for that one. It was a, about 10, 12 guys in a room for a year trying to make each other laugh. That, that was the game design document for that. So, you know, from the music, it's like, yeah, you know, we wanted to do some serious kind of, you know, techno-electronica type of stuff, but, but then we'll do a polka tune, and then we'll do a banjo tune, and then we'll do a, you know, let's, let's play classical music on this level. Why? Because it's funny. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and then we'll play Italian music the level after that, and then go back to a serious tune. So, you know, there was no rules, um, and, uh, you know, that was a fun one because, you know, you, I covered so many musical styles, kind of funny musical styles from polkas to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to German music and, uh, you know, Zydeco and, and banjo music and, and all the rest. That, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, Tommy, remember me. It's your old pal, Cake Rock 1.0 on DOS. What great times we had back in the day. I'm just kidding. It's actually me, Titi Schmutkins. Isn't it nice to have a computer that can uh, talk to food? All right, that's uh, <laughs> the co-host Titi Schmutkins. Oh, you scared me there. I thought I was I was being reunited with my my old my very first MIDI sequence. <laughs> now we came out a little bit different. Uh, I think uh, I I started on the Insonic uh, EPS, uh, and then the EPS 16 was the first uh, sampler I got involved with, and and sequencer. And we used, we used to, we didn't have an Omega back then. We had, a, a, I think, just a C64. And yeah. In my first trip into the studio, uh, the producer there had an Atari ST. Um, but you, you had the cakewalk, huh? Yeah, I was, I was a PC guy. I see. And uh, never got into the Mac side of things, because a lot of people do. A lot of musicians back then, especially in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, Macs were kind of the only system you had. But um, I, I, I had a PC, and... Um, uh, yeah, and, and Cakewalk was really the only MIDI sequencer that ran on a PC at that, at that point. What, uh, what are your I'm favorite? Oh. 1989, What are your? What some of your favorite uh, instruments now? What what uh, what keyboards do you do you like to use now? Or yeah, well, you know, it's all about plugins and things like that now. But but again, going back then, um, you know, I, I was a ro big Roland guy. Okay. So you know, my first sampler was a Roland S50, uh, and then you know, you move up to the 770, which was the monster back then. It was a great machine. Um, but you know, I always liked the big fat analog sounds, like you know, Oberheim's, you know, the OB8s and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, I have a uh, J JB. I have a JP8000. JD8000. Yeah. yeah, it's a, one of the newer. They tried to go back to analog. Uh, oh, it's, it's a beautiful, like, that, that metallic dark blue machine. I got yeah. one. I'm looking at it right now in my studio. Now, the JP8000 and they have the JD800. <laughs> I uh, have them both. Wow, fantastic. Um, now, uh, what, now you're a gamer, right? I mean, you like the video games. Absolutely, <laughs> I yeah. hope so. Hope uh, so. What what uh, what Better. are some of your yeah? And because uh, else you're going to be miserable. Uh, yeah. uh, what what uh, what what's some of your favorite uh, things right now? What's going on now? What do you like? 
Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, you know, when my friends come over and stuff, we'll play Guitar Hero and Rock Band. It's always still a, still a favorite, you know. I'm on the road a lot, so I got the PSP and the DS. And, uh, you know, I like quirky stuff on the DS. So, you know, stuff like Elite Beat Agents. And, and I got this, uh, it's kind of like Nintendo, except it's for panda bears. So, you know, I take care of my little panda bear on the road. I see. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the PSP, I'm playing things like, uh, you know, God of War, Chain of Olympus, such a great game. It is. And, uh, it's amazing on there. Any any of the driving stuff, you know, wipeouts and any of that stuff is great. But uh, and then on the on the big machines, um, gosh, you know, I, I, it's funny because. You know, I don't have a lot of time at home because I'm always on the road now. So I find myself, like, just trying to finish stuff that came out, like, a year ago. So, you know, I'm still playing, like, Metal Gear 4, trying to, you know, trying to finish that. And, uh, um, what's another one? Uh... Uh, you know, uh, Uncharted. Actually, yeah, the uh, first one I got, I got about ninety percent through that one, so I went back and wanted to finish that. And, yeah, but even some of the old, older stuff, like on the PlayStation Two, like I, I've been playing Shadow of the Colossus lately, which I, which I love because I never finished that one either. Phenomenal. And Beyond Good and Evil, another great one. Yeah, I love Shadow of the Colossus. I love the ICO. I'm very excited about the new title that they're bringing out for the PS3. I think that's going to be amazing. And you were at E3. Yeah. Absolutely, and that was actually one of my favorite uh, my favorite games that they were showing there. It was called, uh, oh, geez, what the hell was it called? Yeah. They were calling it Trico at first because it was like the third eco or whatever, but um, it was called The Last... The Last... Guardian, some- Guardian, I think. Last Guardian, that's it, yeah. That, oh, man, I'm looking forward to that. But no, E3, I saw God of War 3 looked amazing. Uncharted 2 uh, looked incredible. Um, really excited actually about the new, uh, Mario. It's called the new Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's, it's back the old school, you know, kind of side scrolling platform, which is, which is awesome. And I don't know why companies gave that up, you know. I mean, it completely ruined the Sonic franchise when they went, took it to 3D. True. Um, but, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, those are some of the ones I was really, uh, you know, really quite impressed by. Of course, uh, I'm a big Van Halen fan, so Guitar Hero Van Halen was there. Uh, the Beatles rock band looked awesome. So, Did you get to see uh, George and Ringo there? I, you know, I didn't because we were, we were, I was preparing, we had a big show, uh, ourselves, uh, Video Games Live played at the Greek Theater during E3 as a part of E3. So, I see. I, you know, I, I, that particular night when those guys were there, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I was rehearsing. Yeah, you can check it out on your Xbox 360. It's, you didn't miss much, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, it's All sort right. of like, uh, we don't really know what this is, but, uh, thanks for having us on here and, uh, you know, royalty check and, uh, the end. Oh, really? They didn't play the game or anything? Uh, no, unless there's parts that were missing. They didn't even really understand what it was. Thanks for having us on your game show, they said. It's a great game show we're on. <laughs> So, I have a, I have a feeling the Aerosmith might be a little bit more in tune with uh, what's going on with their their version of the game. Yeah, they're they're pretty hip, and they love the big royalty checks as well. Sure, sure, and who doesn't? I guess. Well, um, thanks to the video game industry. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing, and and what a big boom it has been for for that franchise as well. Um, now, obviously, you get to realize a lot of your music based ideas come to reality, but if, if you could make anything music related happen i mean i know you're flying to japan tomorrow i mean that's amazing uh but if you could make anything happen like sky's the limit what do you think musically you would do you know it, it, it it's funny it's an interesting question because 
really, I mean, my, my whole goal in life is always to, you know, ha- have a dream and, and ach- achieve that goal and achieve that dream and, and nothing will get in my way and always have a positive mental attitude and, and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, the dream right now, I mean, I'm, I'm living it. It's, yeah. it's, Taking the greatest video game music of all time and touring it all over the world uh, in front of hundreds of thousands of people, screaming fans and audiences who just love video games and, and people who don't know anything about video games and, and getting them involved. And I mean, that I, I can't think of a, of, a, of a bigger and better dream right, right now. That was my dream uh, has been for, you know, uh, for the last eight, nine years. And because we started video games live in 2000. 2002, and it took us three years to do our first show in 2005, and we did three shows in 2005, 11 shows in 2006, 29 shows in 2007, last year 47 shows all over the world, wow. and this year over 70 shows, so... Um, you know, this is it. You know, this is the dream. I mean, what what an amazing uh, privilege and honor I have to to take the greatest video game music. Uh, and we're always changing the show. You know, uh, we we do a two and a half hour performance, and uh, that constitutes about twenty games, uh, or sorry, twenty different segments. Uh, but we've created over sixty segments for video games live. So we've never played the same show twice wow. uh, in the four years we've been uh, touring this around, and and we never will so there's always uh, something new for everybody and that's why we come back to places like la for four years or you know the fourth year houston brazil some of the places we go every year you know those people who've seen the show the last four years are going to see a, a, a new one this year so um yeah it's building the audience and uh, and helping to spread the word Mm, that truly is living a dream. And you know, it's not just a musician's dream. I talk to successful pro wrestlers. They want to be rock stars. I talked to Dr. Alan Hale of Comet Hale Bop fame. He didn't want to be an astronomer. He wanted to be a rock star. And then you throw the video game element into this. Who wouldn't want to be successful in, in the music industry or in a video game industry? And your story in particular can turn jealousy into inspiration. I know it certainly has for me. The more I found out about it, the happier I was for you and your success and the repercussions of that success. I mean, Video Games Live is beneficial to the entire video game industry. So let's get back to what brought you to the dance. Is there any more video game music coming out of the Tommy Tallarico Studios? You know, I, I got asked at the end of last year, Sega Japan called me up and uh, asked if I wanted to do some music for the new Sonic the Hedgehog game. So that was a that was a great honor. And wow. uh, so I was able to write uh, three songs over the Christmas break last year for the new Sonic game that just came out, Sonic and the Black Knight, and uh, for the Wii. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, still still have my toe in the water, you know, doing music uh, and um, sound design projects here and there, working on the new Lineage 2, uh, doing a game called Flip's Twisted World for the Wii, and, uh, you know, in my spare time, kind of in between tour dates and things like that. Amazing. Well, thanks for joining us uh, this month on We Talk Games, Tommy Tallarico. Thank you so much. Wow, Tommy Tallarico, what a guy, what a guy. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's still working on games. Of course, the last game I worked on was Legends of WrestleMania. I was the motion capture model for Dusty Rhodes' Splotch. You can find out everything, of course, about Tommy Tallarico 
at Tallarico.com or VideoGamesLive.com. You can find links around there. And oh, everything's involved. Gang, he just he's had his hands in so much. The Tallarico Studios, of course, amazing, amazing stuff. And there we go, our first big interview that we've featured on Interview Starcade. And it's kind of also fitting because that was really our first big interview that we did on We Talk Games. It really propelled us into getting other big players in the video game industry. Legendary players in the video game industry. Definitely, definitely. And we're going to bring you this show every two weeks until we get caught up with our current episodes. We hope you enjoyed this outing of Interview Starcade. Tune in in two weeks. See you then. Bye.